This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Goodbye baseball, a walk-off. Winner for Mitch Hattiger. Swing, line, drive. This game is over. Goodbye baseball. Mitch Hattiger ties it up here in the bottom of the ninth inning. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. Hey, welcome back. Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Thanks for being here. Hope you had a great weekend. Mariners have. It's been a nice stretch. Nice road trip for the Mariners. A couple games left on this trip in Tampa after taking game one last night. I guess technically St. Pete against Tampa, you know. But it's been a good road trip so far, taking the series from the Tigers to start things and then a series over the weekend against Toronto. So we'll dive into that and also the game last night when the Mariners took out Tampa in game one of the series. We have a couple great things to get to in this podcast. Andy McKay, who's been on this trip, uh, Shannon Dreher, a chance to have a long conversation with Andy McKay about some of the great things happening in the minors at the moment. Also, we'll hear from Brian Anderson. Aaron Goldsmith sat down with the Rays analyst who uh, talks about his time against Edgar Martinez, which is fabulous, and also a very, very good spring training story that <laughs> You don't want to miss. So that's going to happen as well. Let's talk about Toronto a little bit. After the Mariners took two of three against the Tigers, M's Toronto lost game one of the series seven to three, but then came back in game two, a four to three win as Kyle Seeger just continues his role as he bashed another home run in the ball game. The pitch on the way, swinging a well hit ball deep to right field. Stay fair, going and going. Fair ball, it hits the foul pole. Kyle Seeger extending his hitting streak to 11 ball games with a home run down the right field line off the foul pole. It's the Mariners four and the Blue Jays three. And think about that home run just in terms of history. I mean, he becomes with that home run fourth all time in home runs in Mariners history. I mean, the only ones ahead of him, Griffey, Edgar, Buner. that's it as he's been on a home run binge, seven home runs in the month of August uh, at the time, uh, tied for second in the American League. Also, just the third time he's gone seven or more in a month. His, his high is eight, so he has plenty of time to get there in the month of August. So he's been on a roll. Mariners win game two, four to three, crisply played ball game. And then Sunday, well, that game belonged to Kikuchi, who was just outstanding. Kikuchi set the one-two. Strike three called. Ah, some paint. Very top rung of the strike zone at 94 miles an hour. Justin Smoke caught admiring that heater. That's the sixth strikeout for Yusei, who retires the side in order in the seventh. Canada treated him awfully well. Here's the stretch. 
And the 2-2 to Vigio. Swing and a miss for a strike three, and it's over. Yusei pumps his fist in the air. He goes all the way. His first complete game shutout in the major leagues as he blanks the Blue Jays here in Toronto by a score of 7 to nothing. So mechanical adjustments for Kikuchi certainly paid off in a gem against the Blue Jays. So the Mariners take that series over the weekend. And on to Tampa, who's right in the thick of this playoff chase. And Mariners broke out the sticks in this ball game. And you look at three guys in particular, Nola, Seager, and Murphy, batting in the middle of the order in this ball game. I mean, all three have just been scorching. And in this ball game, Tom Murphy in particular, Huge home run early, and he'd add to it late. Here's the stretch, and now the 2-2 to Murphy, and here she comes. Swing and a well-hit ball deep to left field. Pham going back to the one track, looking up. Goodbye, baseball. Tom Murphy with a three-run home run to straightaway left with two outs here in the top of the first inning. His 14th home run of the year. Extends his hitting streak to seven games, and the Mariners have a quick 3-0 lead over the Rays here in the first. How about that? What an at-bat for Tom Murphy. The 0-1 to Murphy. Swing and a well-hit ball deep to left field. Going and going and goodbye baseball. Tom Murphy with his second home run of the night. His 15th of the year. Holy smokes, what a run for Tom Murphy. This one is way out of here. The Mariners now lead the Rays by a score of 9-1. to one. Tom Murphy has been something. He really has. He's been on a huge roll. Big night, three hits, two home runs, drives in four as he continues to crush. And Nola, the same sort of deal. Two hits last night, three RBIs as he crushes one as well. And the left-hander's 1-1 pitch. Swing and a high fly ball deep to left field. Pham going back to the track, to the wall. Goodbye baseball, Austin Nola with a home run. His seventh home run of the year. This is a two-run home run in the top half of the second. And it's now the Mariners' seven. And the Rays' one. Austin Nola goes deep to left field and now has a six-game hitting streak. Nola, two for five yesterday with an RBI in Toronto, and he continues his hot hitting. You have to feel great for Nola. Man, look at his slash as this sample size just continues to grow. Now he's played, you know, coming up on 50 games this year, 125 at-bats, slashing 320, a 370 on-base percentage, 560 slugging. He's bashed seven home runs, seven doubles along the way. He's played everywhere, continues to be so valuable for the Mariners and Scott Service as he hits another big home run last night. We talked about how Kyle Seeger has been surging. I mean, Tom Murphy is in that group as well. You know, last night, three hits, two homers. He has five home runs in his last three games. He's driven an eight along the way. All three Mariners wins. So those three collectively are just scorching so we'll see what the Mariners can do against Tampa tonight Mariners will take on Tampa we'll talk about that in a second first why don't we hear from Scott Service after the ball game 
Are we going to just kind of start to call these normal Tom Murphy games? <laughs> yeah, it's hard to have two home runs in a game. He's making it look easy. Uh, uh, he's on some kind of a hot streak. It is fun to watch, and he's not backing off. He's out here early today, kind of staying with his routine, um, and really happy for him um, to the fact that I said if he gets a third one, I'm going to do a cartwheel in the dugout. So <laughs> that didn't happen tonight, but I might have. Uh, he's, he's, going, he's going that good. So big night for our offense, obviously, he and Nola. Uh, you know, big, big hits there early on to give us a little cushion and give enough room for Marco. Marco probably not his A game tonight, uh, but that's what you do as a team. There's plenty of nights he's had his A game, and we haven't scored him enough runs to get the win. So it was nice to, to pay back uh, for him tonight a little bit. Yeah, three spot in the first. I mean, kind of really setting the tone early for you guys and the offense. But really, and you come back with four in the next inning, too. Uh, you know, you kind of take control of the game and go from there. So uh, we've had a tough time against the Rays so far this year, so it was nice to, to jump on him early. And Marco, you mentioned pretty good through five, gets the win, and then the bullpen again, four nice innings. Yeah, Eric Swanson, he's our most rested guy down there. We were planning on using him yesterday, and, you know, Kikuchi got through the whole game. So uh, he was fresh. He knew he was going to go tonight. And I thought his fastball was really crisp, had a lot of life, and really getting on guys. So good to see. It's got the importance that it's always a good thing in the first game of a series to be able to get into a pen early today. What does that do? Well, you know, hopefully, um, you know, our pen is in great shape. You know, they've played some longer games recently, um, so I figured with where they were headed that we might see a position player late in the game if we could stretch it out. But uh, again, it really goes day to day. It's driven by starting pitching. You know, your momentum only lasts as, as long as your starting pitching uh, will take you. So we've got a little momentum. Uh, our club right now, we've had a good trip so far. We're scoring runs. Uh, the, the confidence is up. Guys are having a good time. Hopefully, it continues. What kind of adjustment did Marco try and make, or was it just kind of? Uh, I, I just thought, you know, early on, just uh, it didn't feel like he was really locating uh, with his fastball. He had a couple walks, and I was uncharacteristic of him. Just the, the Christmas of his stuff wasn't there. That happens. You know, you're going to have 32, 33 starts throughout the course of a season. You know, there's going to be, you know, 10 where your light's out. There's going to be 10 where you kind of struggle through like tonight. Hopefully your team picks you up, and, and that's what we did for him. Do you have a starter for tomorrow? No, I don't. Open room. No, I don't. But uh, we will here in a little bit. So it'll, we'll open tomorrow, and then we'll follow with Malone after that. After having some struggles on the road, you're up to a great road trip, five and two. What's been sort of the key to uh, uh, for us? It's spell here? offense. You, you have to score runs to win on the road, and our offense has really uh, picked it up uh, on this trip. Uh, you know, Seeger had the, the, you know, been a really good trip for him. Murphy's been solid. Uh, Nola's been very consistent. It's been a number of guys stepping up and, and picking it up for us. So, um, got to score runs and win on the road, and we have been. That's a bottom line, and that's a good bottom line, and that's what has been happening on this trip. Mariners, a chance to take a series. So, we'll be back with the podcast on Thursday after these two games. Uh, game tonight, as you heard there, an opener. Uh, Malone will take the ball after that 4-10 first pitch. Uh, it looks like the Rays will go with Diego Castillo to get the start, and ERA just a touch over three. And then Charlie Morton will follow with Day Baseball coming up on Wednesday, 10-10 a.m. first pitch. So breakfast with the Mariners coming up. Uh, Mariners will go with an opener, Wade LeBlanc, in that ball game. So that will not be easy with Morton looming in Game 3. We'll see if the Mariners can try and take a series then. And then off day Thursday, and the Mariners return home for a nice homestand. So Mariners, we'll talk about that coming up on Thursday a little bit more. But first things first, the Mariners looking for a series win against Tampa Bay. 
Speaking of Tampa Bay, we're going to get some great conversation. Aaron Goldsmith with Tampa analyst Brian Anderson. This is the year of Edgar Martinez inducted into Baseball's Hall of Fame. And with that in mind, Brian, we have to talk about your numbers against one of the greatest hitters of all time. It's a good sample size. It's 33 plate appearances. The average is really good for Edgar. It is really bad for you. He hit right. 533 <laughs> right. against you. Brian, he slugged 967 yeah. with an OPS of 1542. He homered three times off of you. You did, however, Brian. You struck him out one time. <laughs> but did he go blindfolded? <laughs> hey, listen, Seattle should love me. I helped get him there. I helped expedite this process of getting him there. No, I'm going to tell you something. Edgar Martinez was one of the toughest hitters, obviously. The numbers speak to that, that I ever faced. But I'll tell you, it, you know, I was pretty dumb early on. If you looked at the first half of those at-bats, maybe the first two-thirds, the numbers are even worse. I actually made a lot of progress towards the end to get to those numbers. The problem that I, you know, with, with Edgar Martinez, he was just so dangerous, and I was not an overpowering lefty, that a lot of my work was, you know, down and away, occasionally run a fastball in, change-ups down and away. Well, he was so good, he would just wear out right field. Oh, you want to stay away from me? I'm just going to right center, right field, right center. Oh, you hang something, there's this, you know, three home runs. Um, and then, uh, you know, finally later in my career, it was interesting because as these numbers were being compiled and they were actually worse than what you just came across, my dad finally called me and he said, hey, look, just a little advice. Your next start's against the Mariners. Um, just here's what you do with Edgar. He's not fleet of foot. He's not going to tear up the base pass. He's going to get on regardless against you. Save yourself the aggravation. Hit him in the thigh and just put him on. He's getting on there anyway, and this saves an extra base hit. So just pick out a thigh, drill him, let him go, and clog up the bases. That was my dad's advice. That's what he said I should do. Wasn't a bad idea at all. Um, but what I ended up doing later uh, in our matchups was I finally started pitching him in, doubling up, and, and trying to get in on his hands, and that somewhat opened up the outer part of the plate for me. And so I was able to have a little bit more success down the stretch. But even so, that success still led to those numbers. That's how dangerous he was. And so, um, yeah, it was funny. When we were coming here and it was Edgar Martinez weekend, I thought, man, this guy, nightmares. I'm going to be having nightmares in Seattle every night that we're, that we're here because he was, he was so good and he wore me out. So prior to his on-field speech, he'll look up to the booth and give you a salute and he thank should. you? He should. He absolutely should doff his hat, you know, I mean, a point something. I mean, I'll tell you. And, yeah, he was, he was something else and, and so well-deserved. And I, I love the fact um, that he finally got in the Hall of Fame, and I, and I love the fact that the argument against it, well, it was just a DH. Okay, I'm sorry, is a DH a position in Major League Baseball? Was it a position created for Major League Baseball? Yes, it was. Okay, well, then if you're the best at it, Shouldn't you go into the Hall of Fame? I thought that was one of the worst arguments for maybe not you know, getting him into the Hall of Fame was because he was just a DH. Well, he was just the very best at a position that was created for Major League Baseball. So, yeah, he belongs there, and it was so great to see him go in. And, Brian, along those lines, I'm guessing on the pitcher's mound, when it's a tied game in the seventh inning and the go-ahead run for the Mariners is at second base and you're facing Edgar Martinez, you're not saying to yourself, oh, well, hey, Everybody, at least he's only a DH. 
Right. What you're thinking is his first base open and how quickly can I get him there? Because I'm not letting him walk this thing off, which is what he's going to do if I end up pitching to him. So, yeah, you're not worried about that. He, The guy just – I'll tell you what. I, I'll tell you a, a funny story, and you, you can uh, corroborate this with him. Um, I watched him uh, at different times take batting practice in the cage before a game with the, the donut on his bat. The, the donut on his bat, the weighted donut on his bat. He had that much confidence in his hand eye that I'm still gonna barrel it with a heavier bat and it's not gonna hit that. You know, imagine if it hits that weighted bat, it could have hit him right in the face. It could have done a lot of damage. And this guy was that good. He'd go in there with the, the, the weight on the bat and take BP. That is all you needed to, to know about him and how good he was at handling that stick. Did you? follow your father's advice ever and actually plunk them? I don't think I did. You would probably know better than I did. You did the research. I didn't need to. I knew it was bad. We continue our chat with Rays broadcaster Brian Anderson. Okay, Brian, tell us the greatest spring training story of all time. Well, so here's the deal. It was going to be my first uh, outing in spring training where I was going to go past the three-inning mark, and it was going to be in Vero Beach against the Dodgers. So a uh, translation, National League team, on the road, going more than three innings, guess who gets to hit? So I was so excited about getting a chance to hit that I was in the back picking out a bat, getting my batting gloves, getting all that stuff ready. And with Cleveland Indians and Eric Wedge at that time, um, it was a very strict bus time. And if they said the bus was leaving at 9.30, it was pulling out at 9.30. I don't care if you're the starting pitcher, you find your own way there. So it was, uh, I was in the back getting my, uh, and, and by the way, you had to pack your own bags too. They put your uniforms in your bag, but all of the other stuff, the, you know, your glove, hat, spikes, all of that, you know, you protection, you had to pack all of that stuff. And so long story short, I'm in the back picking out the bat stuff and somebody goes, Hey, bus is leaving in two minutes. You better get going. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. Cause I'm not getting left back here. Grab the bat, get my batting gloves, run out, grab my bag, throw it on the bottom of the bus, get on the bus. 20 minutes outside of Winter Haven. I don't remember packing my glove. You know, I don't remember packing a hat either, but that's okay. They'll have extra hats there. And you know what? Come to think of it, spikes. I'm, I'm down spikes. So I'm in a panic from, from that part of the drive because my bag is underneath and I can't check it, but I don't remember putting that stuff in there. So we make it all the way over to Vero Beach. I jump off the bus. I go down, grab my bag, open it up. I'm right. There's no glove in there. There's no spikes. There is no hat. So like I said, hat taken care of, glove and spikes. Now, I was doing some scouting as we were driving into Vero Beach, looking for potential places I could go and maybe buy something if I didn't have it. And I saw a mall. And so I thought, perfect. I'll be able to go to the mall, get spikes, a glove, and, I, and I'm good to go. So the trainers had gone over. They had a, a rental car. So we were able to procure a rental car. They drive me to the mall. We go into the mall. We're hitting up all the stores. The sporting goods stores do not have gloves, but they have shoes and they have spikes. Now, I was a, a, a Nike guy as far as the, you know, the, the contract that I, I had with them, uh, whatever. But, so I'm a Nike guy. Can't find Nike spikes. But I found Adidas. So I bought the Adidas. I'm like, I'll black out the white, the three stripes with the, you know, with the Sharpie. I'll black that out. You won't be able to tell. But no glove. On the way to the mall, though, past the Walmart, what doesn't Walmart have? They have it all, right? They're going to have gloves. So we drive back to Walmart. I go in, and it, it was the most god-awful glove you've ever seen. I mean, it, was a, it was, had Velcro. That's all you need to know. There was Velcro involved with this glove. And it was two-tone. 
it was, you know, it, it, it was a two-tone glove. It was a bad look. It was a softball glove is what it was. But it was, it was broken in already. It wasn't completely stiff, so we can, we can make this thing work. Problem is, I'm a Rawlings guy. This was a Wilson glove. Again, not too good, but I'll, I'll black out the, the Wilson and, and, you know, we'll make it all good. So I get back in time to, to get ready to go and pitch in that ball game. And uh, I went out there. I threw my, you know, whatever it was, three or four innings. Um, got my at-bat. Nothing really came of it, so it wasn't even that cool. Um, but it, the two things that ironically happened in the course of that game. Number one, I think I had three comebackers in the three innings that I pitched. And so this glove was actually getting used. So it, it got used, and it was like a butterfly net. This is softball glove. I don't even know if it was legal. And so I was able to snag these balls, pulling them down, making plays, doing my thing. Um, the other thing that happened, and I didn't find out, obviously, until later in the season, and you're not going to believe this, but that was the day they decided that that was going to be my baseball card shot. And my baseball card that year, you can go back and, and, and find this card. It's like a picture was taken from right behind home plate just as my knee had reached its apex, and I'm standing with my glove up near my face. The knee is up. So you have a full shot of the Wilson glove and the Adidas shoes, and you can see that there was an attempt to black them out that did not go very well. It was more of a light gray as opposed to completely blacked out. And so you can see Wilson glove, Adidas shoes in the shot, and that was my baseball card. And that is when I really realized that I was a nobody because if Rawlings or Nike, that word would have gotten back to them, they would have terminated my contract right there on the spot. Not only am I using other you know, equipment, but it's on a baseball card now. That really doesn't help them out. They didn't even care. So it, it was a, a little little slice of humble pie. But that's, that's how it all went down, and that's 100% true. No embellishment. Brian, it's always a treat, man. Thank you so much for the time and the stories. This has been fantastic. Dude, anytime. Anytime. And here's Shannon with Andy McKay. Shannon Dreyer here in the dugout in Detroit, catching up with somebody that I just found out is from Detroit. Didn't know that. Andy McKay, you're on the trip. You grew up here. Were you a Tigers fan? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. I got I got to tread carefully here, but no, it was the Tigers were everything to me growing up. I, I fell in love with the game at Old Tiger Stadium. Um, the names on the wall out there, um, you know, whether it was – you know, Mark. I remember Mark Fitterich beating the Yankees on Monday Night Baseball wow. like it was yesterday. But that '84 team, obviously, I was in uh, seventh grade. Uh, you know, we had not been very good uh, in the big leagues with Detroit, and you know, you start a season 35 and five, um, which is still just hard to comprehend. Yeah. You know, and but that I can tell you, Lance Parrish to uh, Tom Brookins to Alan Trammell to Lou Whitaker to Daryl Evans. To Larry Herndon, Chet Lemon, to Kurt Gibson, you know Jack Morris as your starting as your number one, and uh, Willie Hernandez was won the MVP in the Cy Young as the closer, and and uh, we beat uh, beat the Padres and a young Tony Gwynn to win the World Series. So that uh, was almost it was life changing because it was uh, that's when I fell in love with it. I, uh, Kurt Gibson was everything to me. I mean, I wanted to be Kurt Gibson <laughs> more than anything in my life uh, growing up. So. Oh, it's, it's a great and storied franchise. What's your best memory or your favorite memory from the oh, old gosh. stadium? The old stadium was uh, it, it, the sounds, uh, the smells. Um, the um, you know We would sit in the bleachers. A lot. I went to a lot of baseball games growing up, and 
I, I, I want to say the, the bleacher seats were a dollar fifty. Mm. I might be off on that, but I, I know it was it was not a lot. But um, Tiger Stadium, if you remember, the, the center field bleacher were four hundred forty feet away. Uh, the flagpole was actually in play. The flagpole was in, right. you know, in the field. And um, but there were. I can tell you, my the, the day I really truly fell in love with with uh, Kirk Gibson and the Tigers was uh, nineteen eighty one after the strike, and Gibby hit a walk off home run as a rookie uh, to beat the Yankees. I remember Dave Rigetti started the game, and uh, Gibby walked it off, and it was just like that was it. That's that's what I wanted. That's who I wanted to be, and and he was to me he was everything a baseball player should be. I mean, he played so hard, and he, he was such a leader, and uh, he made everybody better. And, and he was certainly wasn't a perfect player by any means. I mean, he was very emotional, and he um, probably did some things that he probably wished he hadn't done at times. But um, just the energy he played with was it was so captivating to me. Without question, a good baseball hero right there. Got a lot of exciting things going on in your department, and this is probably going to turn into a two-parter, so let's get the news sure. out of the way first. Uh, there's there's a big move in the organization today. There is. We, uh, we promoted Julio Rodriguez to Modesto. A uh, couple of reasons. Uh, Modesto's in a playoff race right now, and... Um, you know, we wanted him to be part of that, and I, you know, we made the decision if, if Modesto made the playoffs that we would move Julio there, and you know, then it was like, well, if we're going to do it, then why don't we do it now while they're in this chase? And Julio's playing so well right now, um, and he's he's absolutely earned it. And it, you know, we we held him back last year in the Dominican Summer League, mm-hmm. and you know, there was a lot of conversation if we should get him to Peoria, we should get him to Peoria, and we. We kept him down there because he was doing so well with Caesar Nicholas, who was managing the team, and David Flores, who was his hitting coach. And mm-hmm. we didn't want to separate that. We didn't want to break up that relationship because he was thriving in it. Um, you know, and then this year he, he, he skips two levels, and he goes to Modesto, and I mean, he goes to West Virginia, and he's borderline having a historic season in that league for his age. Um, so he's earned it, and he's ready for it. And um, you know, we. We couldn't be more excited about it, to be honest with you. What's the biggest thing he's gotten out of this year so far? Just the length of the season. Okay. And, he, you know, he had a little bit of a hiccup, obviously, when he, he broke okay. his hand. So he hasn't truly played the full, you know, season. But, again, all these lessons that are learned, like, so now you can kind of check a box as he's been through a rehab process. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he got off to a phenomenal start in West Virginia. He gets hit in the hand, and he's got to take a six-week break and go to Peoria, which that is hard. For people who don't really grasp that concept of, uh, you know, whether it's a pitcher with a Tommy John's or to get, to get pulled out of the competitive environment and go back to the complex and, you know, where your day really revolves around a few hours of rehab and whatever conditioning you can do. And then you're, you're back at the hotel, you're back at the apartment for, you know, 12, 13 hours. And, you know, you know, you hear these guys talk about, I, you know, I watched the first four seasons of The Office today. Because there's, you know, it's 115 degrees. What are you going to do, right? How many times can you go to the mall? That's important for the development too, actually. From four I, seasons of The Office. I, I think every, I think everybody is better for, for truly understanding, uh, Jim and Pam and and, uh, and Michael Scott. So, um, so he's done that. He, he's he's played as a you know a very um, young player in the in the Sally League. He's he's dominated the league. His defense has gotten better. The base running's gotten better. Um, you know, he's he's been in the states, so he's he's really has accomplished a lot. He's, and he's actually struggled and come back from it. You know, he 
Uh, he's playing really well right now, but uh, you know, the second half of July, he went through quite a little funk there, and that you want that because yeah. you these players have to learn. And I think we've talked about this before. What it's like to go up to home plate with no confidence, mm-hmm. and how to get through that, and how to how to try to slowly get back on track. Um, it's a skill that you have to acquire. We're visiting again with Andy McKay, and we were talking yesterday about Julio Rodriguez, and you talked about it's important that they struggle at the minor league level. Do you want to see that at every stop in the minor league level? <laughs> you do, and it's painful because when it's happening, it's not a lot of fun for anybody. Um, but you do have to t- kind of take that deep breath and, and, and take a step back and go, okay, this is good for him. It's good for this player to to experience these things. It's good for teams to experience losing because um, it's going to happen. These seasons are too long, and, and nobody nobody gets through a major league season uh, without bleeding a little bit. And whether as an individual or as a player, you hit these tough stretches and and learning how to to handle it so that. You know what should be a tough four or five days doesn't become the tough two weeks, and I mean you've you've done this long enough where you've seen it where you know it becomes a, a tough season yeah. or a tough half season. Yeah. That's just not sustainable, and there's very few players that get that type of leash where they're allowed to struggle for that mm-hmm. long. Obviously, the older veteran player who has a contract does, but young players when they're coming up, you know, you know, and there are some exceptions. I'm sure when you promote a, you know, a, a, a Mike Trout or a Tatis to the big leagues, yeah, they they're they're being brought up with that kind of wiggle room that we're just going to give them time to figure it out. Most players, that's not their reality. And so, you know, again, learning how to, to learn something from what's going on, how to work on it, and then, and then do something about it quickly. Uh, that's, that's the challenge of this game. This isn't football where you have six days to regroup after every game. Even in the NBA, you know this, when, when an NBA team plays a back-to-back game, the world freaks out like it's the most challenging thing ever. Here, you've got it coming every day, yeah. and there's, there's very little time to, to regroup and make adjustments. Um, so learning how to do that on the fly is, is a skill. How did Jared Kelnick handle this? Obviously, he's been promoted this year, but he must have had a – he did have a struggle he at did. one point. What did you learn from that? Absolutely. Um, we learned a lot from it, and he learned a lot from it. Uh, and his struggle was a little bit, um, you know, the, he was dealing with the ankle, he was dealing with the wrist, and he was, which again, that's another lesson. You, you have to learn how to play hurt. And, you know, for a young player to understand, when do I go in the training room, when do I don't, when do I not? Uh, when do I go on a, on a uh, injury list, when do I try to play through it? And because making the wrong decision either way can be disastrous, you know. You don't say anything, and you go out and you play hurt, and you turn it into a real injury. That's not good for anybody. But if you're constantly, you know, going on a 10-day, you know, um, reserve list when you could have maybe missed a day, that's not good either. But it's it's hard to figure that out with your body, even certainly with pitchers and their arms. And is this is there something really wrong, or is I'm, am I just sore today? So that's another lesson that, that kids have to figure out and, and learn. And and Jerry's were tough because he had the ankle and the wrist and. You know, sometimes it's obvious, like Julio, when you get hit and you break a bone, right. that's an easy one. Yeah. You know, when you're, okay, can I really go out and compete at this level with my ankle that's really swollen and hurt? Well, sometimes yes, sometimes no. What would you do if you were in the big leagues today? Yeah. Would you would you sit out today if you were in the big leagues? Yeah. What if we were in the postseason? Would you try to play with it? And those are all, there's no formula as to how to answer that. Mm-hmm. You just have to, you learn that as you go. 
It's a big one with Kelnick at 19. He hasn't probably run into that a lot, and now he's taking care of everything. So an interesting, interesting answer there. We're going to see more young players the next month, maybe some a little bit sooner. What do you want them to get out of the experience? Uh, the, the biggest thing that you're looking for is that they can just fit into the clubhouse, fit into the environment. You know, the faster that they can, you know, get past the off factor. Um, and I, I can remember the story when I was with the, uh, the Rockies. Um, Scott Oberg is actually turning into having quite a career uh, in their bullpen now uh, in his debut. And we were actually in San Francisco together. And um, his, his first walk to the to the mound from the bullpen. And he said, I just, I, I had to keep my head down because I knew that if I could just look at the grass, the grass was the same as in the minor leagues, but I didn't want to look up and see the stadium. And he's like, I made it through my entire debut without looking up into the stands. And, you know, there's that off factor. There's that off factor of, of the ballparks. There's the off factor of the travel. There's that off factor of looking across the field and seeing a superstar or a future mm-hmm. Hall of Famer that you once got his autograph. Yeah. There's getting used to the coaching staff because they are different they're, they're much bigger than the minor leagues the minor leagues we have three or four coaches at an affiliate here you've got staffs that are you know eight nine ten people uh getting an understanding for how scott runs the day getting an understanding for the individual position coaches and um you know figuring out where you fit in in the pecking order of you know just from little things like batting practice and being in the tunnel cage before like you know probably not going to be the first guy in there there's probably you know an older player that's got his routine going. So um, a lot of little things like that. But the faster that you can get through those things, the faster you can kind of you know, get past the, uh, the off factor and get into I have a job to do and the expectations are really high and I've got to go out and compete, um, the better. Because as you know, um, history tells us a lot of people come and they don't stay long. And that's what we're trying to prevent. Andy, we're looking forward to seeing it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion. Championship team.